magic lies within the trails we ride. You're listening to the Journey On Podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick is a horseman, trainer, international clinician, and author whose mission is to help people achieve a deeper connection with their horses through his transformational training program. Just because he knows that you know. G'day everyone, welcome back to the Journey On Podcast. I'm your host Warwick Schiller and today I have a special guest in a friend of mine from Wales. Her name's Cathy Price and she lives on the west coast of Wales in a place called Aberystwyth which looks out over the Irish Sea. And I've known Cathy for mm, five or six years now and we've actually got become pretty close but uh, Cathy's a very cool lady, you know, she's been very passionate about horses from a very young age and like many of us that love horses, her I don't know, her love of horses kind of led to her discovering energetic connection with not just horses, but with all sentient beings. And so this led Kathy into going down the rabbit hole of healing with energy, which is what she does these days. And um, she has some pretty amazing stories. She's a pretty amazing lady. And so I'm looking forward to having her on the podcast. Kathy Price, welcome to the Journey on Podcast. Warwick Schiller, it's really great to be here. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, so am I. Yeah. So I guess what we probably should do is start off by telling us what exactly is it you do? <laughs> oh my goodness. I have been asked this so many times. I should have a right, a really direct answer. Actually, our big friend Tanya Kindersley led me to this in a very simple explanation. So I was lucky enough to go and visit her with Naomi a couple of years ago. And she asked me the very same question, what do you do? And so I started going into my long sort of um, explanation. And when I was leaving, she said to me, okay, I'm going to give you a challenge. On the way home, I want you to distill down into four words what you do. And I remember looking at her going, you've got to be bloody kidding. You know, having spent the last half hour trying to explain what I did. So she was very kind and she said I could have six words. Thank you, Tanya. Anyway, on the flight back from Tanya's, it came to me. And the four words are helping you heal yourself. That, in essence, is what I do. And the way I, I look at it is that any system that is in balance is in health. And we're talking about physical, mental, emotional and spiritual, every level. And health is a place of ease. And we know the word dis-ease when something is not easy to be. You know, that's where it could be a, an infection, a, a injury, whatever. So I need to know nothing. I prefer to know nothing about the animal or the person I'm working with because that keeps the old noggin, the old grey matter out of the way, because this is nothing to do with me knowing anything. I'm, I know nothing, and that's the absolute truth in this respect. The system I'm working with, at an energetic level, knows everything. It knows the information it needs to come back into balance. And the trouble is, excuse the French, but shit gets in the way. So that's why we don't inherently move back to balance. So the way I look at it again is that 
My job is to make it easier for the system I'm working with to find the information it needs to bring itself back to health. So I'm a facilitator. I'm in no way a healer. I have a very, (laughs) a lot to say about that, but we'll just leave it at that. So I facilitate the system I'm working with to find the information it needs to bring itself back to health. And the information is in the field. We are all energy, we are all connected, and we sit in an infinite field of information. So just as when we've talked about before, you know, you've talked on your podcast and we've both read books where it says about putting a thought out, which is an electromagnetic frequency, and that all possibilities are out there and you connect to that frequency and therefore you manifest what you're looking for. With my side of this work, it's about helping the system find that information that fits to bring them back to her balance and so health. That was a little longer than four words, but that was good. I like that. That that, <laughs> that, that, that made a lot of sense. Okay. Um, okay, so let's talk about what led you to this. Like you, you were not, you know, like most of us, you were not on this, I don't know if you call it, spiritual path for quite a long time. And then, so what happened to lead you to this um, avenue of discovery? It's a really good question. Um, And in hindsight, I'm 61 now, so I can look back and see what my path has truly been. And it definitely has been the horse. The horse has led me here, absolutely 100%. I grew up in... Wembley in London in a suburban home my parents knew nothing about horses and yet as soon as I could speak all I talked about was horses all I wanted was a horse and my parents had no idea who this cuckoo in the nest was you know because they they had oh god what do we do with her um and it just I just got worse and worse you know a lot of people say they grow out of it as I went through you know from two three four five I just got worse and I remember in my family there were two um, two ways of thinking about why I was so horse mad and the, I call it nature and not nurtured so the nature part was my dad was from Poland and his uncle back there was a uh, mad on horses and I remember seeing a picture of my dad when he was about nine sat on a pony bareback you know and dad had no interest but so maybe I'm a throwback to that the other one is that apparently at the age of two, and this could account for a lot of things, um, I was on a donkey on Paynton Beach, which is a, a resort on the south coast of um, Great Britain, and I fell off said donkey. And this was only relayed to me later in my life when my mum said, well, of course, it's probably you banged your head when you fell off the donkey. And so um, I'm not sure. But anyway, it was this complete compulsion with horses that got me uh, took me down a path whereby eventually, you know, I had riding lessons and I bor- begged, borrowed and stilled horses. I worked on stables. I worked on a Wild West show, actually, in Wembley with Native Americans and all sorts. I worked on a coaching stable. These were all summer jobs. But any time I could get contact with horses, that's all I wanted. And it wasn't until the age of 32, after I'd had my two kids, that I actually had my first own horse. So unlike a lot of your podcast um, guests who sort of grown up with horses or were introduced to them at a very young age, I think I was about 10 when I had my first riding lesson, I taught myself to rising trot with a piece of string over a trestle 
I read in a book how to canter. And then when I went on a trekking stable, there was one part in the ride where people who could ride went to the right and the others went to the left and the ones that went to the right cantered. And I didn't tell anyone I'd never cantered before. I put myself in there and that's when I did my canter. And it was really wonderful. So, you know, I had to sort of manifest these chances to do stuff. But the horse, all encompassing, how they work, oh, everything. And that definitely, it led me to a horse called Midnight who was a Cleveland Bay cross thoroughbred who I bought in, hubby bought him, bought her for me actually in 1992. And Cleveland Bays have the word intractable, i.e. stubborn, in their breed standard. You can read it in a book. And she was a Cleveland Bay cross thoroughbred, but the thoroughbred didn't really exist. We just went complete Cleveland Bay. And she was a horse that just said, no, I'm not going to do it unless you find a better way. So I had been taught BHS, you know, everything that didn't work. I remember switching to Western, thinking somehow magically putting a Western saddle on this horse was going to change everything. Strangely enough, it didn't. And then I just began looking. And again, there were a lot of synchronicities that led me to um, a friend who got me into Pirelli horsemanship. And so that was a big game changer in that... I began to realise, you know, you had a relationship with a horse. You weren't just sat on it, making it go and making it do things. And I had one extremely hairy moment with Midnight who she never wanted to be lunged and she'd just stand and turn, stand right in front of me and go, yeah, what are you going to do now? And I didn't need to lunge her, so I never bothered. I knew that, you know, I could put long reins on and oh, sod it, I'm not doing it. But part of the Pirelli thing was about they should be doing the circling exercise where you can just stand still and they just quietly go around you until you ask them to stop. Bit shocked to the system. The first time I asked her to do that, <laughs> and I was in a six-acre field on my own, I remember it well, she literally reared up, ears went back, mouth went open, and she was coming at me. Now, I don't know whether she'd have actually made contact, but I... I sort of didn't get angry or anything. I remember, I thought, oh, okay. And I just, I knew she would back up, you know, if you asked. And I ended up backing her up halfway around that field, rightly or wrongly. I mean, obviously now <laughs> it's always the way, you know, if I knew then what I know now. But that's what I did. And that actually was a game changer because she then started to think, oh, maybe you're not quite the pushover I thought you were. Um, and, you know, we just developed a relationship. Straight from the Pirelli, I then got invited down to a horsemanship clinic down in Pembrokeshire with a guy called Len Judd, who I knew nothing about. He'd been invited over by the owner of the place. And that was my spiritual awakening. That weekend was when everything shifted from my... I'd been completely science-based. You know, measure it, uh, explain it, replicate it. Thank you very much. If you can't do that, I don't want to know. And that was truly where I was. But it was that weekend. And that horse took me there because if she'd been a push button ride, I'd never gone looking. And so what. So Len Judd's an Australian who I think he lives here in the US now. Um, what what exactly happened that that flipped <laughs> your switch? Oh, goodness. Again, it's like, yeah, how do you how do you sort of quantify it? He did a demonstration on the Friday night before the clinic, and it was all about energy. It was about horses' feel energy, how you can think and you can ask the horse to do things. 
I remember he said two things. The first was he was connecting to the feet. And this was a concept I just sort of found about, you know, the connection of everything with the horse in essence to make it move is forward, back, side to side and speed. And it's all related to what the feet are doing. So that was my sort of understanding at the time. So he said that and I thought, oh, gosh, right. OK, this is interesting. And then he said something that made my the hairs on the back of my neck go up. He said, if you get good at the physical with the horse, the horse will lead you to the mental and the spiritual. And I can remember just sitting there thinking, oh, my God, I'd, where am I? What's happening? So that was the sort of introduction he gave. And then we had two days of clinic. And the two days of clinic, I think you, you, you know, talk about your Wisconsin thing. And that was for me exactly this. I was crying the whole time, but it wasn't, oh, my God, it's awful. It was wonderment. And I don't know what's going on. I don't understand. And then he'd say something else about a horse that was in the round pen. And he's, oh, I'm off again, you know, completely lost the plot. Had no idea. And I think that weekend, I mean, he's the, the sort of things he said at the weekend that got me going, you know, really got to me were from breakdown comes breakthrough. And one other one that he said was, open your mind, but form no opinion. And that was really strong. So, you know, take it on board, but just don't try and um, categorise it, which is me. You know, OK, I'm the scientist. I'll tell you how it all works. I had no idea. Um, so that was, you know, that was the sort of things that were happening. It was changing my perception. And it was almost as though my feet, which had been stood on a very firm substrate of scientific knowledge they had that that substrate had been taken away so I was just left floating and I, I wouldn't say I went to you know, sort of free fall it was the different I was rising up it, but I was completely out of control in that respect that I didn't know what on earth was going on so I know that I came back from that clinic completely confused in wonderment really happy but I have no bloody idea what was going on. <laughs> so, yeah, he sort of opened my brain to a different way of being. Well, I do say that that uh, it's what you learn after you know everything that's important. <laughs> yeah. And you had that that science, it's yeah. this way, and then you realise it might not be quite that. Totally. I realised it totally wasn't. So why don't you tell everybody, which, what was your scientific background? Um, I did a BSc honours degree in zoology. So my uh, degree level was on uh, physiology, bio, um, physiology, parasitology and immunology. And I did my thesis on a, a little worm called a Echinococcus granulosus, which is a, it was really, I didn't know I was going to end up farming but it is a worm that is very prevalent between dogs and sheep and dogs and horses. And it was about the speciation of that. So, you know, I was really into the, the science of it all. Um, all of the science practically that I learned now is completely out of date. I mean, all of the cell biology, the immunology, only very basic stuff. So we are talking quite a few years ago now, but, uh, but it was, you know, it was my brain set. This is fact. There it is. Learn it, understand it, you've got it. So 
we uh, at some point in time in this podcast, we're going to go through, you know, for listeners at home, we normally, I give my podcast guests 20 questions and they get to choose five, six, seven of those questions and uh, <laughs> we go over them. But Kathy has elected to do a <laughs> lightning round of all 20 questions. We're not going to do the lightning round right now. We're going to, we're going to save that for later. But the very, very first question, and I think it would be relative to this right now, is where this conversation is going to head because I know where it's going to head. What book do you recommend mostly to people? I think for me, the starter book was The Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton because he was a scientist teaching, you know, all the qualifications. And he had made a discovery which other scientists would not believe, which, you know, was the, the science of epigenetics, which is the, shows the effect of the environment on the expression of the gene. And he basically took stem cells, which are blank, undifferentiated cells. They could become muscle, cartilage, nerve, whatever. And he put them on, if you imagine little uh, Petri dishes with different substrate, a different thing in it, each of them. One might be more alkali, more acid, more sugary, whatever. And he discovered you could put a blank cell in each of these different uh, Petri dishes and they became a different type of uh, cell. You know, they, they differentiated into muscle or nerve. And the only thing that was different was what the cell was sitting on. So they were the same DNA. So you couldn't say that the DNA, which, you know, the chromosomes, that that was what was um, determining what the cell would become. And they call it gen the genetic determinism, i.e. if you've got that gene, that's what's going to happen to you. Mm. And this has been disproved so many times now. And epigenetics is now taught in schools. But he was called a heretic at the time. So that book, The Biology of Belief, was my cornerstone. Many, I did a podcast earlier on that was called Books That Have Influenced Me. And that was one of the books that had influenced me. But there was, I don't know, there was quite a few others on there that I think you may have recommended, or even maybe you sent me some of them. I'm pretty sure you sent me Real Magic by Dean Radin. Yeah, that was a later one. I think to begin with, um, okay, so there's Bruce Lipton. Then there was um, Candice Pert, The Molecules of Emotion. She was the scientist that discovered psychoneuroimmunology, where your thoughts affect your nerves, which affect your immunology. So in other words, it's showing what we think can change the biochemistry in our body, which, again, that was a groundbreaker. And um, it's also a, quite an interesting tale of how women didn't get um, put forward for Nobel Prizes at the time because she was one of the instigators of that, but somebody else was put forward. But that's a whole other story. Um, so there was that. Then there's uh, Lynn McTaggart, The Field, which talks about the field that I spoke about, which is the connection of everything. And she... Uh, investigative tif, 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 uh, journalist and so she went round talking to all the journalists got all of the information and pulled it together in a, a book that you can understand you know it's not too high level but it explains so she did that and the intention experiment there was david abram spell of the sensuous and becoming animal and spell of the sensuous actually is one i've got to reread mm. because it was about how we are connected. And he looked at some of the philosophers and he brought through texts and 
I've got to read that again now because what I've discovered is some of the books that I read early on, I've now re-listened to or reread. Oh my goodness, completely different um, effect. You know, I get much more out of them. There was Gary Zucker, that's is one of the ones that I've just reread. Um, Seat of the Soul and the Dancing Wooly Masters. So the Dancing Wooly Masters was all about um, quantum physics. You know, he brought it forward in a way that you could sort of access. I've read um, the Seat of the Soul. What's the other one? The Dancing what? Wooly Masters. Wooly? I can't even. W-U-L-I, I think it is Masters. Wooly oh. Masters, like a Chinese name. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think I've got that correct. But it is Gary Zukav, I'm sure it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there was, I just read book after book after book. It was, I couldn't stop as soon as one book was down and it might lead me down a train of thought that oh, I've got to discover that. And I know some of the things we discussed at Bodium, you know, there was a, a train of thought on that that led me down. I just, I, I should own Amazon like many other people. because It's like, all right, get this. It is useful though, because I can go back and look at my order history and discover what books I bought when, you know, how long ago it was actually in my journey that I, so it's 2005 that I first read Gary Zukav, uh, Seat of the Soul, and I literally listened to it about three or four months ago, and it blew my brain because I could see it on a different level. Right. And it's the same, The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle. And, I mean, you've recommended so many books to me as well. If it wasn't for you, um, Joe Dispenza, Becoming Supernatural, would still be sat on the side of my bed. I might not have actually delved in that I can't tell you how many times I've read that or listened to it. And what I discovered when I re-listened again to Eckhart Tolle, I first read Power of Now, I don't know, 2008, nine, whatever. And, and I was literally moved to tears as I was listening because he was saying exactly the same for me as um, Joe Dispenza, but from a spiritual side. But the message was the same. You know, Joe Dispenza is much more practical, if you like. But they were saying the same thing. So, yeah, books and me are great friends. <laughs> yeah, a minute ago you mentioned uh, Bodium. So we had an incident at Bodium. So I, I had met Kathy at a clinic in Wales. You were in the clinic. Yeah. And then maybe you had attended another one, but I'd never really got to, like, sit down and chat with you. And, and I, think, I think the universe kind of kept me away from you till I was ready to hear what you had to say. <laughs> but we, I did a clinic in... Um, East Sussex in the southern part of England, and uh, Kathy came along to that. So she got to got to be friends with some other people who come to my clinics, and so they, they all said, "Come down to the clinic." So Kathy drove down from Wales, and uh, we go to the pub after the clinic on the Saturday night, and I just happened to sit across the table from Kathy, and <laughs> she just sits down and starts telling me these <laughs> stories, which I think she might relate to us right now, but. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and spit out what you what you told me when we sat down at the pub? But you know, it's just so weird because there's only three people I've really spat stuff like that out, and not to that extent. But one was Len Judd, one was Leslie Desmond. Oh, a couple of years after I met that, and the other one was you. So it's all this horse energy connection stuff. So yeah. Um, well, you're about I, to spit it out to a lot more horse energy connection well, stuff I think, right I now, think so I'm, knock yeah. yourself out. Um, yeah, I think there were, there were three or four things, but I suppose the first one, I read a book 
by a lady called Brandon Bates called The Journey. And this was quite early on. It was in the early 2000s, sort of quite early on in my um, sort of journey, as this is the Journey podcast. And um, yeah, she basically was a lady of uh, into spirituality and alternative techniques. And she discovered that she had um, a growth in her womb, which was quite large. And the doctors said they wanted to operate straight away. And she said, no, give me four weeks. She bargained with them. And they said they'd give her four weeks to go and try and help her heal herself. So the story, the book is about her journey looking, it's called The Journey, um, looking, uh, talking to different practitioners and looking for a way to help herself. And she ends up doing a process whereby she remembers when she's had a, a very powerful, if you'd like, negative emotion and the person it was associated with. And the instruction was to sit around a campfire with this person and anyone else you might think appropriate and discuss it. And you end up forgiving that person. And that basically, that, that negative emotion dissipates and you release it. And then you go down the level and you go to the next negative emotion you can think. So it's a process of clearing, if you like. So she did this and she ended up after she'd gone through every fire that she could think of. um, She ended up at a black hole. And I remember in the book, she says she was very frightened about she knew she had to go into this black hole, but she was very frightened. Now, I honestly cannot remember what happened to her. I know she survived because she came out the other side and she actually did heal herself. But I can't remember what her uh, description of was of going through that black hole so anyway me being me I get to the part that she's gone through the black hole and she's okay so I thought oh I'm having a go at that so I'm sitting there doing my little um visualizations of right I've had this uh, negative emotion and then go around the fire get released that do whatever black hole in front of me yay she survived I'm in there boys dive through and this bit I do remember very clearly I was literally floating outside the back of the house and I'm upstairs in the first floor bedroom and it was literally outside the window I'm looking at now and I was part of everything the walls the air the ground the grass the trees the sky everything that I was just part of everything and I felt so your body was in the house and you were out of the house I don't know where my body was oh okay. for me it was almost a it's a really good question. I've never even thought of that bit. I might have left. I mean, it where did your body start? Uh, there was no body. There was no body. You know, once once I'd gone through no, that. No, no, no. I hole, mean, be, before you went in the hole, where was your body? Sat there in the room. What, I what room? So uh, in the house. bedroom. Yeah, in okay. the house. So, sorry. Yeah, so your yeah, body yeah. was in the bedroom. Yeah, the body was in you... the bedroom. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Went through the hole and whatever was. The essence, the spirit, the energy, I was outside and I was part of everything. And I felt I could reach to the, you know, I was facing south. I could reach to the right and touch America. I'd reach to the left and touch China. And I was just part of everything. There was no division. And that is as clear today, what, 15, 16 years later, is when it actually happened. But I don't think I realised the significance of it then. I experienced it, but I didn't realise the significance because I've just read a book, which I know you're reading as well, Radical Wholeness, mm-hmm. and he describes a, a thing called The Elevator, which is about connecting your 
the energy of your brain, if you like, all the way down into your pelvic bowl. And along the way, he says, if you re if you hit um, uh, a resistance, which is an emotion, and he calls it the orphan, which nearly made me cry because it's like this part of you that's just not incorporated. It's mm -hmm. it's outside, and so you sit with it and you incorporate. And once it's incorporated, you drop down the level, drop down the level. And I suddenly thought, that's exactly what I did with that book. You know, that's exactly the same sort of process. You you find the emotions that have been holding you back, if you like, and you process them, incorporate them and release. Anyway, so, yeah, that was the first thing that I probably hit you with, floating outside, connected to everything, you know, general day's work. And then <laughs> the other thing that um, happened to me was over a series of months, again, quite early in the, maybe three or four years later, I was just getting the weirdest experience. I'd wake up and there'd be a rush of energy through my body. Like if you can imagine really fine pins and needles starting at your feet and rushing like a freight train up your body and out and being lifted off the bed and falling and voices and all sorts of stuff going on. And it scared out of me to begin with. I didn't know what on earth was going on, but it was a really physical process. It wasn't imagination. I wasn't dreaming. Anyway, what happened then was the way I like things to happen. I experience and then I find the answer. And I'd read something about going out of body. So that then led me to, oh, oh, OK. There's books on how to get out of the body. So guess what I bought? And there's a brilliant author called William Bullman. And he wrote two big books. I think one was called Adventures out of body or something and another one about the spirit I can't remember the names but his were the books that were really good for me and he gives techniques about how to practice getting out of body and I'd almost get there and still oh, god no no whatever and it took five months of practice you know lying there going I'm going out of the body I'm lifting up boof no I'm not but five months and I think the key that I actually managed to get out was that a friend of mine her horse was ill and I'd read that if you, um, when you get out of your body, you see things in a different vibrational state because you're at a different vibrational rate and you can, might be able to see what's wrong with a person. And I, it, for me, it was the horse. So all the textbooks sort of said, right, the first time you get out of your body, get out, realise you're out and come straight back in. So as I'd been practising and practising and this one night, voila, did it. I was standing at the end of the bed. I was out of my body. And I thought, there's no way I'm going back in there after five months of getting here. I'm off. So the sort of theory is that you think where you want to go and you're there. So you could go to the other side of the world. And the interesting thing is that a friend of mine at the time, she worked for the BBC and they had actually done a documentary about all things paranormal and psychic and goodness knows what. And they discovered a, um, sisters from Sweden who they did this every night. They lived separately, you know, apart from each other. They'd meet up at their mother's house and they'd, you know, they'd do this out-of-body experience, but together. And they were known as the Flying Sisters. And the uh, researchers would put tests out. They'd put something in the house, which the sisters wouldn't know, but they'd only know if they actually went, you know, a distance out-of-body and find it. And, and a way you can test yourself is to get a, a deck of cards, pull a card out. Don't look at it. I mean, if you look at it, you fail, what's the bloody point? D 
don't look at it. Put it on top of a wardrobe, face up, you know, so the kit, it's facing up to the ceiling. And then practice. Go out of body. Go and see what that card is. Are you right? You know, that's a simple way. But anyway, I got out. I thought, I'm going up to the horses. And instead of just thinking to go, I just literally went straight through the wall. I just thought, oh, right, okay, I'm out, I'm off. And it was the weirdest sensation. It was a really fine tingle. Molecules, brushing molecules is the way it felt. And then the minute I was out and floating on the lawn, that that way, it was definitely just going through the wall that that happened. And then I suddenly realised, I started to sort of follow the road and I thought, oh, silly woman, just think. So I did. And I ended up, um, it was only about 500 yards, 600 yards as the crow flies. And I ended up and I was above my horse Midnight. She was lying at the junction of two fields. And I swear to God, she looked up and said, what's my mother up to now? It was like, oh, God, here she is again. What is she doing? And the horse that I wanted to see, Ketty, had just gone up round the corner to the stables. It looked like she was a bit spooked. So I sort of floated my way up, as one does, and looked round the corner. And Ketty came out of the stall. But I mean, this is when it gets weird. It was Ketty, but not as she was in that present incarnation where she was a short, she was like a cross between a Shire and a Dachshund and quite heavy built and black and white. And this was like a bay charger with a, a big saddle on. And I looked down at midnight and she was a pack horse. And I remember then, and this was again, conscious thought that it said that if your experience is getting too weird, you could be going too deep into sleep. You've got to be at a certain level to do this. And I thought, oh, there we go. It's gone weird. I'll go home. And which is what I did. I thought of my body and there was the falling back and all the sensation. So I mentioned that to a couple of people, what had happened with Ketty and Midnight. And both of them said straight away, those horses knew each other in a previous life. I don't know. I'm just reporting. And I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything by saying these things. It's just my experience. And it might resonate with some and others might think she has lost the plot. Um, when you when you told me that, I don't think I said those two horses knew each other in a previous life. I think they looked at you and said, who do you tell this shit to? <laughs> well, it turns out only about three people. <laughs> well, no, I hadn't even had the shit when I met um, Len and, and Leslie, but there was something there. I know it's, I know it still puzzles me in some ways, you know, why I sat there that night and said, right, I'm just going to lay on the table. The other thing that was quite interesting was I think I told you how I see energy in the, in the air. So if I, this happened one day working on the farm, and I'm, I'm the extra sheepdog. I know my signs and I'll stand there quite nicely for quite a while and I'll come by in a way when, when asked. But I was waiting for the sheep to come and it was a lovely sunny day and I was looking up at a blue sky and we had some nice oak trees and it was quite early summer so everything was very verdant. And firstly, I saw like a grey haze around the top of the trees. And it was like, what's that? And then maybe the brain went, oh, that's the aura of the trees. It's the energy field of the trees. But then as I was standing there, I became aware of, how to describe it, translucent particles, small dots, flying completely randomly through my eye, you know, through my field of vision. And of course, I immediately thought, oh, my God, my eyes are going. Oh, goodness, what's happening? But then I began to realise, no, it's it was consistent. And again, it happened the way I like it, which was the I saw it and then later read something which maybe suggested it was 
the energy of the air, the orgone, which is the energy in the air. And the, the funny part about this was, so a couple of years after that, uh, my friend and I, we went to Iceland and we went on a skidoo right to the top of a volcano, which was 200 years overdue exploding, which made it all quite exciting, especially when another skidoo, so we were all at the top and we couldn't really see much because it was snowing and God knows what. This other skidoo came up and this guy got off and he went down and he obviously did some measurements. He jumped on his skidoo and he was gone. And we said, who's that? And they said, that's the volcanologist. And we were going, he's left rather quickly. What does he know that we don't? Just <laughs> like, God, what is, what's about to happen? Because you had two hours to get off there if, if it would melt from the bottom up. But anyway, so I'm up there driving this skidoo, which was such fun. And I began to notice that the energy in Iceland, the energy in the air was huge. It was much bigger than in Wales, you know, where I see it normally. And it was golden. And Ange, my mate, was on it. I was going, Ange, oh, my God, look, look, this, the energy, it's big and it's golden. And I was preaching and prattling and God knows what. Anyway, get down to the um, back down. And Ollie, who was the guy that sorted our tour out, it was brilliant. He was a local and we just, he took us to see his friends and everything. And he did not know what to make of us two at all. And I got back in the car, I was going, oh, Ollie, my God, you should see the energy up there. It's amazing. It's massive and it's golden. And at the moment, I took my sunglasses off, my golden sunglasses off. So I went, well, actually, it might not be golden. It's it's quite big. OK, so, yeah. Um, so weird shit, you know. It's just like the universe shows me this stuff and says, get a load of that. But it doesn't hold me in the place of repetition. It's almost like, do that. You've done that. You've experienced it. Now move on. So, yeah, I mean, I think those were some of the things I <laughs> laid on you. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that was like, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> so, so what is it that you do these days? And then we'll kind of go backwards and how you came to doing that. In what, what, what respect do you mean do I do? Point of balance that you call this thing point of okay. balance. What, what, so does someone and come and see you? For people who don't know, does okay, someone come and cool. see you? Yeah. Do you do it over the phone? Do you, what do you do? Um, obviously, before COVID, people used to come and see or I'd go out, you know, within this country um, and I'd work with horses and people. Um, and then it would be a matter of, it's very, very rare I put hands on. I work in the field, as I said, so it's it's working around the system, conditioning that space and the the effect lasts for two or three days afterwards. So it's almost like they have more opportunity to sit in that conditioned space and receive, have the opportunity to, to find what they need. But of course, when COVID kicked in and I was doing more of this before I do, everything became distance, everything became distance. And for me, it's no different. It's exactly the same, because if you take the concept, which is quantum physics, that we're all energy and everything is connected and that within the energetic sort of formula, distance has no meaning. I work intention. It is literally intention, attention, no tension, actually, because my intention, say I was going to work on Oscar, you're one of your horses. I'd say, OK, Oscar, hi. Oof. And I don't need to. I don't actually you know people ring me up with 
with friends that are ill in hospital and say, can my technical term for what I do is zap, okay, because it's so, so much easier. I zap people um, and say, can I help? I sometimes don't know their name and I know they're in a hospital in London. I have no idea. But the fact is that that person has got in touch with me and says their friend and that's enough. I'm, my intention is working with your friend wherever they are. It doesn't matter. And and so that's obviously if I know like your horse or something, you know, I think, oh, Oscar, right, okay. So my intention is I'm going to help you. Know, my, my intention is that I can help you by conditioning the field. My attention is it's I'm doing it now. And the no tension is I have no idea. I don't know anything. You know everything. So it's not a case of, oh, you've got a bad right leg, therefore you need to have something, energy change there. I know nothing. The The system knows everything. So, yeah, that's what I do. So when you were, uh, I think you told me you started out doing Reiki. Is that where all this thing started? When you started yeah, well, working right. with this energy stuff? Well remembered, yeah, because I came back from Lens Clinic and as I said, I was completely confused. I didn't know what was going on. So I went to our local bookstore and was looking in the sort of self-help spirituality. And my eyes are lit on a book called Reiki for Life by Penelope Quest. And as the universe would have it, it opened on a page which, which described what some people experience when they have their Reiki attunement. And basically, it was more of what I'd experienced at the clinic. So complete self-interest. I had no idea really what Reiki was. It wasn't like I thought, oh, I'll be a Reiki master. I, I just read that description and thought, yay. So over the course of the next sort of 18 months, I did the three levels of Reiki, became a Reiki master. Um, I practiced it. I worked, I never taught anybody, but I did, you know, treat people and horses and I'd treat the sheep, I'd treat the bull, anything that would stand still long enough, I was there. But with Reiki, there's a lot of ritual and there's a lot of, you know, you say words and there's symbols, totally fine. But for me, not for me, because I'm a lazy bugger. So it was, oh, there must be a different way. So then I began looking and I went through various modalities, trying them out and seeing if they fitted with me. And the one that I found that really did was something called Reconnective Healing, which came through a guy called Eric Pearl, who was a chiropractor over in the States. And then he met this gypsy on the beach. She did something. And when he went back to being a chiropractor, really weird stuff was work, um, happening. And he realized it could also be passed on. And so he developed this whole thing called Reconnective Healing. And I read the book called Reconnective Healing, Heal Others, Heal Yourself. I cannot find when or where I bought that book. I've got no trace of it. It appeared. I don't know. Could have been a link on a link on a link. I don't know. But that was about 2007. And I um, I wanted to have, there's a big process you can go through. And there was nobody near me to do it. And eventually, out of the blue, haha. The universe supplied me with somebody down the road. So I had what they called um, the reconnection. And I then went and did the course to become a practitioner. And you see me, the little sceptic, you know, my sceptical side is very, very strong even now. And it stands me in good stead. But when I got to the, the, the uh, seminar, 180 people there, 
divided into 60, three lots of 60, I ended up in the group that Eric himself was teaching. And on the last day when he was demonstrating the sort of the final part, he various people get called to be the guinea pig, if you like. So he demonstrates and then they go back and practice. And he looked at me and he said, have you done the work? He called me up. So even then, the universe made sure I couldn't say, ah, oh, yes, but I haven't had Eric Pearl work with me. It was like, yes, you have. Now get on and do it. Just be a good little girl. So, yeah, I just think the universe lines it up for me and slaps you around the face a few times and says, yeah, get over yourself. And so that was a reconnective healing. Was that the, did you, from that point on, did you kind of take it and develop what you do now? Or was there more, was there other modalities you tried after that? No, that was the last one that I really stepped into because there's no ritual with it. There's absolutely, I mean, he makes this really big thing and he's hysterically funny when he teaches it about, you know, calling in all the angels and this. And he says, the room gets so crowded because there's all these people in there. Do you call in to help you? And it's not dissing anyone, but he just sort of makes it lighthearted. And I loved it because it meant wherever you were, if somebody needed help, you could work. You didn't need to have, as I always say, your purple knickers on because you had to be dressed in purple for the modality to work. You know, you, you, you were free. So I went through sort of develop myself within that modality. But I got to about 2015. And quite rightly, they were doing like, um, what do they call it when they, they sort of developmental within your profession? And you, were need, you had to go back and, and sort of be reassessed on what you did. And a lot of it didn't gel the way they were doing things. And that was totally fine. It was to do with me, not them. And, you know, no judgment. But I realised, no, now is the moment I had got to step into being myself. I've been... I didn't have the self-confidence before. I needed a label. Oh, I am this. I've taken that exam. I've, you know, qualified in this. And therefore, that's what I am. I had to sit in it and say, I'm Kathy Price. I'm a farmer. You know, I teach IT. I do accounts. But, the, you know, have horses. But the main thing is the energy. And so that's where I went then. I just became, <laughs> I became Kathy Price. I might have been Kathy Price all the time, but if you know what I mean, you know. I yeah, I know what myself. you mean. Um, I know in one of the earlier podcasts, I had uh, Leslie Desmond on, and there was a question I asked Leslie in that podcast because I said, I've heard a story about this thing happening. How true is it? Because um, it's a bit out there, but... You were the one that told me that story. So do you want to tell us do you want to tell us the story you told me about what you saw Leslie do in, in Norway yeah. or Sweden or wherever the hell it was? It was Sweden, yeah. Um Leslie was really kind. She invited a friend of mine, a friend and myself, over to stay with her in Sweden. And we were just playing horses. We were cutting her apple tree down and doing all sorts. Of, you know, it was just a lovely visit. But it was a walk. We were taking down the lane, one of the lanes by her house, and it was beautiful, rural. And there were, I think, four, maybe five horses in the field all grazing together. And she just said, oh, I'll call the brown one over. The brown one will come here now. And she just stood there. She did nothing. And this horse sort of looked up and went, oh, Leslie, oh, you need me to come to you? And it just peeled off straight to her. If You know, I saw it with my own eyes. This... What can you say? It was 
as simple as that. And I mean, I know she's done other stuff as well where she's led horses through herds, you know, a big group of horses that have been milling around and the horse has got no head collar on or anything. And she, that horse is walking behind her and almost jerking as though it has got a head collar on. That energetic connection is so clear. So, I, you know, the clarity, but I just blew my brain. It's like, oh, I have no idea. No idea. But, yeah. Are there any other crazy things you've seen happen with her? <laughs> she is a witch. She is a witch. I mean, she... <sighs> just to clarify for listeners, when Kathy and I called someone a witch... It's a very negative term, term. it's a positive term. Yeah. Because some people tend to think of it as a bad term, but. uh, Yeah, thank you for that clarification. She's a white witch. She's definitely a white witch. I mean, she's just the lover to pieces. Her heart is so big. And yeah, again, literally, I met her, I think 2004, I organised a clinic in Wales. And. She'd never even met me. So she, off the back of Len's recommendation, she agreed for me to do a clinic. And I remember meeting her off the train in Aberystwyth and she had a lot of luggage with her. It was the beginning of a bank holiday weekend. It was warm. The place was round. I managed to get all of her stuff into my car. We went to the local supermarket. And then I was going to take her to a a nice, um, like, organic restaurant to have some food. And I managed to park in a supermarket car park in the sun and thought myself really clever because I thought, you know, everything, it was milling with people. And she just looked at me and went, no, Kathy, this won't do. We need to be parked in the shade because of the food I've got in here. And she just went, there's a parking space just outside the restaurant we're going to. Um, we'll go there. She'd never been to bloody Aberystwyth. And I was of the mind, fine, I don't mind. We'll go. We'll just, you know, whatever. So she was the one who taught me about parking angels because I drove around that really busy town and there in the shade, two doors down from the restaurant, was my parking space. Nice bit of parallel parking. I was in there. It was like, thank you, Luke. You've now... And every time we went out then, it was like, okay. And I mean, you know yourself, loads of people do it, but it was a whole new concept to me. But by the time I got from Aberystwyth, Halfway home, I told her practically my whole life story. And I remember thinking, why am I telling her this? You know, there was stuff there that I didn't really... I don't know what it is with you horse people. <laughs> it's not, I'll just pull my guts out, OK? It's, uh, yeah. But, yeah, she's she's a very special friend. That whole parking angel thing. I remember listening to... Someone gave me... Um, Napoleon, a set of Napoleon Hill cassette tapes years ago. Like, my son was just born. He's 24 now. So it was quite a while ago. And it was the the principles of personal achievement or something or other. And and, uh, I remember Napoleon Hill back in the day used to talk about he had this little helper who would go ahead and get him a parking space right where he needed it. (laughs) Same difference then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, why don't we do our lightning round of questions here that might not be such a lightning round, but so you've already <laughs> you've already answered question number one, which is what book do you recommend the most? And that was Bruce okay. Lipton's The Biology of Belief. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go with number two. What was your biggest failure and how has it helped you? Oh, 
not getting into veterinary school. Two years trying. The only way I thought I could help horses was to get into vet school, be a horse vet. Failed. And I had a, uh, there's a wonderful lady called Nikki Pattinson who helps businesses by looking at the people who work in the business and bringing them out, you know, airports, big, big stores, whatever. Had a deal, uh, interview with her, you know, a session with her. And she looked at me and she said, you've come full circle. What are you doing? You're helping horses because part of point of balance is working with horses. So, yeah, not being a vet was my best failure. Mm. Okay, if you could spread uh, one message across the world, one that people would listen to, what would that message say? Mm. Oh, goodness. You are the healer. End of. It's not, I'm not a healer. The only person, the only healer is the system itself. Because nobody can make you better. Nobody can make you change. If, it, if you're lucky, what you do or you take a paracetamol, ibuprofen, you know, have an operation is appropriate and you heal. But that has not made you better. It has to be appropriate. And so there's no one thing that will make everybody better. That's because the person themselves are the healer. Wow. Okay. That's a lot to think about. Okay. What is the most worthwhile thing that you have put your time into? Something you've done that changed the course of your life. And I'm pretty sure I know what this one's going to be. Yeah. It's the energy work. End of. Yeah. That's the, I had no choice. It led me. The universe pushed me and I listened. Yeah. That's the thing. That's a very common thing with all the guests on the podcast if you really read between the lines a little bit is I would say every one of them learned how to say yes to the things that appeared before them I think I've always been a person from a very young age that if an opportunity is offered me I say yeah I grab it I can remember when I was at school that I had the opportunity either to go skiing or go to America, over to California. And there was like, no, I'm doing that. So if an opportunity comes along, yeah, thank you very much. Very good. Okay. What is an unusual habit you have or something out of the ordinary that you really love? I suppose my unusual habit, I don't know whether you call it a habit, it's a happening, is my horse I've got now, Teasel, who came to me at, in the beginning, January 2015, in August 2015, for whatever reason, I felt the need to sit beside her with a book and a pen. And that was the first time I began to get all of these writings. It's like automatic writing. I don't know what I've written until I read it back. It can be quite profound stuff about time being cyclical and you can change the past. Um, so I suppose my weird habit is that I sit with my horse <laughs> with a, a very lovely um, leather-bound journal and a pen, and I um, listen and I write. Yes, I've read some of those, and they are quite profound. Mm. <laughs> I don't know whether it's 
she leads me to the place or whether she's given me it. I still haven't worked that one out. Right, you're not sure I if the care. download's coming from her or it's she just yeah. takes you there. Yeah. Okay, so what accomplishment are you most proud of? Oh, God. I'd forgotten that one was in there. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, kids, grandkids, everything like that. Again, I suppose it is the fact that I've fully immersed myself. I'll tell you what it might be, is that at this present moment in time, I have complete peace in me because I know I'm where I'm meant to be. And there isn't a yearning to find another level. It's almost like this is enough. I'm not going to say it might not change tomorrow, but there's a real peace inside me. So accomplishing that feeling of peace and recognising it is, yeah, I'd say that. Mm, I'd say most people spend their life trying to find that. So that's uh, pretty amazing. And I love how you said that you're, you know, you're completely at peace with where you're at. But I think you are also open to more. Mm. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, we always say the more you learn, the less you know. Right. Yeah, you Um, you don't get more answers. You just get more questions. Yeah, exactly. And I'm loving it. Awesome. Okay. What have you changed in the past five years that has helped shape who you have become? Most definitely stepping into being myself. That I'm not having the self-confidence of self-awareness, whatever you want to call it, to go, I'm okay being Kathy Price. I don't need a label. So that for me, and that is five years ago that actually I stepped into that. Oh, that hit me in the feels right there. Wow. <laughs> um, so those last two answers right there. I'm at peace and what was that last one? You I'm are happy being Kathy Price. I'm happy being Kathy Price, yes. I'd say you've reached a, a level of awesomeness that uh, <laughs> most people that. would, would <laughs> love. Okay, so this, one, this question here is interesting. What advice would you give people who are about to enter your occupation? And then in parentheses it says this one may be difficult as many of us have occupations that are far from Normal, and that question, you know, these questions come from Tim Ferriss's tribe of mentors, but I think on this particular podcast, that caveat about this one may be difficult as many as have occupations that are far from normal. So what would you say to someone (laughs) about to enter your occupation, whatever that might be? I'd say follow your path and know it is real because there are so many naysayers out there, and I totally respect their point of view, okay? As I said, I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything. My experience is my truth. That's sort of where I live now. And so when I get feedback from somebody, like I did a couple of weeks ago in Australia, after doing a distance session, I don't know where she was in Australia, I knew her name and that was it, and she said how much difference there was in her um how anxiety had gone away how her own um psychologist over the phone recognized there'd been a massive shift this is real energy medicine is real and and if you feel it 
and that's the path you want to follow, do it. Don't let detractors knock you off saying, oh no, it's a load of garbage. It is real. And whatever is appropriate for you, do. You know, you and I are both fans of Dr. Joe Dispenza and we actually, a couple of years ago, you and I and my son Tyler went to a, uh, a one-day Dr. Joe Dispenza and Greg Braden seminar in London, which was pretty cool. Mm. But, you know, in the front of, in the beginning of his book, Becoming Supernatural, Dr. Joe talks about just that. He said he, he used to want to argue with um, his detractors and people who wanted to, to disagree with what he's saying. And he said, I got to the point where I'm, I'm not interested in having an argument. I, I, if you don't believe me, you don't believe me. That's fine. He, you know, he, he wants to spend his time working with people who are open to what he's uh, on about. Because you, you can get distracted, and I've found this too. You can get distracted trying to defend your position, and it takes away from your the energy you could put into helping people who are open to what you are on about. That, yeah, I totally agree with that. It's when you can just accept other people have different points of view. And I, for me, it's really easy because I came from that point of view. Mm. So I totally understand. And, you know, someone told me that this is what I've been doing. <laughs> yeah, I think I know what I'd have said. It might not be very polite. But, um, yeah, I, I totally agree. I understand that. And that that's what it is, is just be your own truth. End of. Mm. Okay, so where do you go or what do you do to relieve stress or recharge your batteries? or where do you find the motivation or inspiration for what you do? Oh, okay. I love walking. You and I have had conversations and then I've gone walking with Flossie, my little dog, into the forest behind. It's not a forest, big forestry plantation, whatever. Every time I walk, that walk in the morning, early morning, is when I get insight how many recordings I've made of, oh, my God, I've got this. I remember after you told me about um, Rupert Isaacson's podcast and you described some of the stuff that had happened, and I was buzzing. It was like, oh, my goodness. And I walked out, and it was on that walk again. So many insights came to me, and the biggest one was that the the most powerful thing we have is love. It's that, that's the root. And the thing is, it's not about love, sort of um, personal love, love of another person, you know, where the emotions go and you get the heart flutter and you, you have the oxytocin. That's all beautiful and wonderful. But for me, the, the state of love, the, the being of love, the place of love, it's acceptance. It's, um it's connection it's empathy it's patience it's seeing the other person it's hearing the other person it's um gratitude it's gentleness it's every quality 
of that ilk that you can find. That to me makes up what love is. So if you think about, you know, the, in the 60s, make love, not war. Yeah. OK, that might have been one sort of um, meaning of it. But if you go into the deeper aspect of what love truly is, non-judgment. If we actually stepped into any and all of those qualities, think what a different life we'd have. So for me. Sorry, that got off the off the track of where do I get my inspiration from? But it, this is what happens when I go on walks. Stuff comes to me in the most amazing way. And, and then I try and relate it back to my work. Yeah, don't apologise for getting off on that rant because that was amazing. I was, <laughs> I, was in, I was having a moment feeling that. Well, yeah. That uh, was very, just, very cool. Yeah, that, yeah, that's that whole Rupert Isaacson podcast, and he, you know, Rupert talked about that. Yes, when I listened to it, he towards the end he kept saying, "And the answer is love, and mm-hmm. the answer is love." And the more I've sat in that, the more I thought, "Oh God, it's so true." And it's not the trouble is, love is a much overused word in some ways. You know, it's lovely people use that word, but. It's the meaning of of that true being of love, of all those different qualities. For me, that's it makes my hands tingle just thinking about it. It makes my whole body tingle thinking about it. Um, yeah, it's all it's you know it's it's the whole connection thing. We are all one. We're all connected. There is no you and me sort of thing. No, and th- this is. Okay, I am going to dive. I'm going to do a rather long answer now. Sorry. But this, you lead on there beautifully to my favourite scientist, Nassim Haramein, who is a um, quantum physicist who taught himself about quantum physics. And he talks of the holographic universe where every proton in our body contains the information of the whole universe. So if you think of ancient texts, so many of them say about look within. To find the answer, look within. So you have that aspect of it. But you also have the aspect of whatever I do to another person, I'm actually doing to myself, that there is no division. As you said, we're all connected. We're all energy. And I love, Haramai, the way he describes the field as a, you know, because people say, well, how, if we're all energy and we're all connected, how on earth is there matter? How is this, how am I sitting on a bloody chair? How can I see you? And his description of um, how matter might come about, and again, I don't know all the pros and cons, I'm only relaying in the best way I can what he says. You imagine a bath of water. All of the water molecules, and the plug is in, all of the water molecules are randomly moving around. You know, if, if there was no wind or anything like that, they're just being, they're just randomly moving. But the minute you pull the plug and gravity comes into play, the water, as it goes down the plug hole, becomes ordered. It spirals, you know, depending if you're north of South Hemisphere, whichever way it goes, but it spirals. And for that moment, as it goes down the plug hole, it becomes ordered. And his, that's his analogy of how matter is formed out of the field where you've got these plonk energies, the tiny EMFs. And it's the case of that the gravitational forces, and again, I'm using the wrong words and I've no doubt there's physicists out there going, that's the wrong word. But gravity, if you like, is working on space-time and it orders the field. 
so that instead of it being just a mass of, of energies moving in any which way, it becomes ordered and that becomes the, the physical being, whether it's a tree, a plant, a planet, a person, an ant, an amoeba, whatever. I mean, that's a whole nother discussion. But it's about the fact that we are experiencing the universe. Sorry, the universe is experiencing itself through us in a relative and unique viewpoint, okay? Because we're all different. So if you and I, Warwick, looked at a tree, we'd say we're looking at the same tree, but we're not. Because A, we probably have a slightly different angle we're looking at it. But even if I looked at the tree and then you came and looked at the tree, time has changed. There's been a lapse. And also our perception of the tree is probably coloured by our experience. And we've lived different lives. So when we look through our eyes, and I mean, the, the other thing about seeing something like that is that it's so dependent on our brain because it comes in upside down, it gets changed round and then it goes you know, to the retina and then up to the visual sites and then it gets transmuted, if you like, into something we understand. So the fact that we are informing the universe the whole time, I love, we just love it because it's that, Oh, sorry. I just, it just blows my brain slightly. <laughs> little a bit excited about that, are you, Kathy? Yes. Sorry. So calm down. I'll have a drink of water <laughs> or a cold shower. One of the two. <laughs> okay. So what do you feel? I mean, you've, I think probably covered this, but what do you feel your true purpose in the world is? Yeah. To inform, to help people. Okay. It's to help people. Not only me help them, but know that they can help themselves. That was very concise. Okay, what is one common myth about your profession or field that you want to debunk? I think that's much the same as I said before. It's real. That, that um, so many detractors will say energy medicine does not exist. Um, and the thing that gets me is because I work with horses a lot, and at distance, and they change. They don't have to believe. They don't know I'm there. They, you know, it's not. Some will say, "Oh, it's the placebo effect." I'd say, "Yes, thank you very much. That's what I want it to be—the person healing themselves." I have no problem with you saying, because I'm working with somebody. But when you look at horses, and you know, I did an experiment with a, a friend of mine who lives in New Zealand, and he was treating six horses, and I said, "You put your hands on them." and um, see what you feel. So he might have felt that the right hind was tight or they were tight at the pole, whatever. Step back, let me know, step back. I'm going to zap for five minutes. You put your hands back on, see if there's a difference. And then he said to me, right, let's mix it up. Don't zap every horse and I'll see if I can pick out the ones you, you know, ones you didn't. Basically, I zapped one, two and three. Number three was massive. My hands were jumping off. Four I didn't do, five and six I did. He reported back one he thought I'd done, but he said I was just getting the feel of it. He said, you definitely did number two, number three, complete change in the horse. Number four, you didn't treat number five, you did. And number six, you did. And that's 12,000 miles away. I didn't even know where the bloody horses were. And people say it's not real. I don't know. It's real. So that's what I'd want to debunk. (laughs) 
<laughs> I just had to think what you're going to come out with. <laughs> what is one common myth about your professional field that you want to debunk? It's real. That's it. Okay. <laughs> Good answer. So in the last five years, what have you become better at saying no to? Mm. I think it was I felt obligated in some way. It's really strange, the healing, inverted commas, industry, that, oh, you can do it, therefore you should do it and you shouldn't get paid for it. It's a gift. And I know when I studied reconnective healing, there was a massive part of the course was about valuing valuing yourself and that maybe one session of reconnective healing, you know, what you do can change a person completely. So why wouldn't you charge for it? You know, and it's the more people you work with and if you get paid for it, it means you don't have to do anything else and you can help more people. So there's this really strange um, mindset around the healing arts, I'll put it that way. So for me, it's to know my own value again. And that just because I see, so I, I can offer it to whoever I like. That's my gift and that's my joy. But it's not that I should feel obligated that, oh, that person's in need, therefore I have to, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't think it's just with the, the healing arts either. I think, it's, I think it's anything that, I mean, you know, you're a farmer and you're doing that on the side sort of thing. And I think it's anything that you are passionate about that you would do for free that you can't, then you almost feel like bad for, for charging money mm. for it. I know, yeah. you know, training horses, hell, I'd, I would do it for free. And so you, you tend to undervalue, um, yeah, you tend to undervalue yourself a little bit. Mm, yeah, I think that's it. But yeah, that's what's changed. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, what have you become better at saying no to? Because I think we all have some people pleasing tendencies and we feel like we can't say no to certain things. And as you, I think as you grow and, and come into who you really are, I think that starts to change. So there's been a number of people that answered that question that I I really like that question. Okay, what quality do you admire most in a person? Love and laughter. And love being the broad term. Right. Yes. Okay, now the question that everybody has answered, what is your relationship like with fear? (laughs) I have to say, I, yeah. Um, okay, fear, it will either inform you or protect you. I think that's the most simple way. So if you have a fear of doing something, you know, <laughs> as you can see, I'm very afraid of public speaking. So say you had a fear of, of, of that, that's an information and that's something you work with and you can go, okay, awareness to me is key. So when you realise what's behind a, um, a, a behaviour or a pattern or a reaction and you have that awareness, that's when you can work. That's when you can find the, the way through. So for fear of doing something that's not going to physically kill you, I'd say that's, uh, that's relationship that's informing you and it's giving you a way through. Obviously, the fear 
of like when I was on top of that volcano and it might blow up. That's a different ball game. You get out of there as fast as you can and you protect yourself. You know, you, you take an action to to keep yourself safe. So I'd say inform or safety. Sounds a bit like Tanya's answer to fear, which was there's two types of fear, the fear you should be afraid of and the fear you shouldn't be afraid of. It, well, there you go. Yeah, same, same, same thing. Okay. Do you have any regrets you'd be willing to share with the world? And what did you learn from those regrets? And I think this is probably a different, um, mm. a different question than what was your biggest failure and how has it helped you? This one, yeah, these are no, more no. about regrets. Oh, goodness. You did ask me to ask you all the questions. You know, no, yeah, no, I, I'm really <laughs> pleased, but I haven't practiced. Um, yeah, I suppose the regret, the one regret that I might have, and this is actually comes from something quite recently, is not acting on keeping in touch with people when I, when I think of them. Because what's happened was, of course, I had a very dear friend um, who lives, what, 60 miles away from here or lived 60 miles away from here and say in 2019 it was a case of oh I really should go and see her I really should go and see her Covid struck 2020 she died didn't get to see her and so for me that was a regret that I didn't act positively on that thought and that has actually made me change the way I've been because I have physically sat and got in contact with people I thought I haven't spoken to them for a long time. I'm mm. going to ring them. So, yeah, that would be a regret. But that's what I've learned. Mm. Don't put off to tomorrow what you can do today. Wow. Okay. What's the luckiest thing that's ever happened to you? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Do you know what it is? It's being me. Good answer. Well, it encompasses everything. It's not to say there wasn't shit along the way as well, but yeah, it's being me. I'm bloody grateful. You did say before that you, one of the things you're doing is, is, I don't know, is it being comfortable being you or just being you? I'm happy, two. but yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm lucky. That's my luckiest thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. What did you want to be as a child? Vet. You? Wanted to be a vet. Oh, I thought you said that. You wanted to be oh, a sorry, vet. Yeah, vet. Mm. Yeah. That was the only thing that drove me the whole way through. Okay. And lucky last question here. What do you think it means to be a leader and a follower? Oh, goodness. I should know because a, a number of people have answered this question. Yeah, but we don't want their answer. We want your answer. No, 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 no. But I should know that this question is amongst the questions is what I'm getting at. Um, well, from my own personal experience, a leader is someone who has empathy with the follower has knowledge they're willing to share and is also willing to put themselves in the place of the follower. The follower respects the leader 
or the qualities they show, if that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Good answer. <laughs> Good answer. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of our 20 questions. Um, mm-hmm. So if people want to learn more about Kathy Price and what you do, where, where, does, where do people find Kathy Price? I have a website, kathyprice.co.uk. So it's um, Kathy with a K. Kathy with a K. And a Y. P-R-I-C. Yes. Thank you. Yes, I get so used to it. And I always thought Price would be a name. I had a Polish surname, okay, which nobody had ever heard of and always got spelled incorrectly. And when I became a Price, I thought, yay, they're never going to spell that wrong. Oh, how wrong I was. Oh, really? There's so many ways. Yeah, this P-R-Y-C-E, this P-R-Y-S-E. But I'm a P-R-I-C-E, the normal, the price is right. Okay, so, yes, so kathyprice.co.uk. And then Facebook, I've got Point of Balance with Kathy Price. I've also got my own Kathy Price, and I'm also on YouTube. And what's the YouTube channel? Kathy Price. Price. (laughs) uh, Yeah, um, I can't remember. I did... I want to say a thank you to some of the people out there who have been so kind. I put a plea out that if they'd follow my YouTube channel, I could actually give it a customised URL, which I can't remember now. It's Kathy Price 333, I think, at some stage. But um, so many lovely people jumped on that within a few days I had enough followers that I could change my URL. So thank you, people. I appreciate it. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Kathy, thank you for uh, joining me on the podcast and, and thanks for... Uh... <gasps> Sharing some of the stories that have amazed me over the years. Well, it's my absolute pleasure. It really is. And thank you for your friendship because it's, you know, I see a kindred spirit. You've been on a very exhilarated, I've taken 20 years to get here. And you were like, whoa, I know we're all on different paths, but, you know, you do amaze me the speed with which you uh, find these new things and incorporate them. Yeah, well, I was just late to the party, so I've got a bit of catching up to do. <laughs> so thank you again, Kathy, and for you guys My at home listening, thank thanks so much for joining us on the podcast, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Journey On podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick has over 650 full-length training videos on his online video library at videos.warwickschiller.com. Be sure to follow Warwick on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram to see his latest training advice and insights.